Amen. My title for us this morning is, Can I Get a Witness? Can I Get a Witness? Our faith is a faith that employs testimonies. Psalm 66, verse 16, for example, is one of my favorite verses. It says, come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he's done for my soul. This verse is one that I hope you'll enjoy and adopt for yourself because in the scriptures, everyone is giving testimony. The question is simply to whom? About whom? To be a Christian is to have a testimony. And to be a Christian is to have a testimony about Christ. And to have a testimony about Christ is to have an obligation to testify. I wonder, do you testify? Do you testify in your family? Do you testify at school or in your workplace? Do you testify online? The only people who don't testify are the ones who don't have a testimony. And if you're a Christian, then you've got a testimony. And if you're a Christian, your testimony's about whom? Christ, and so they, we should testify about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and what he's promised to do. This morning, we're going to address this, among a few other things. Church, we're embarking on what I think is one of the more difficult texts in the New Testament, not because its teaching is difficult, but because its wording is a little difficult. So I hope that I'm going to simplify it for you. We're going to walk away with a couple of things that are easy for us to handle, and apply to our lives. Again, my title for us this morning is, Can I Get a Witness? Say amen if you're ready. First point that I have for you today is this, the testimony of water, blood, and spirit. The testimony of water, blood, and spirit. This first point is found in verses 6 through 8. If you'll look again at what John says in that text with your eyes, as I read aloud, it says this, this is he, that is, it's Jesus, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by the water and the blood. One commentator says this is the most perplexing phrase in the entire book of 1 John. Another author says, and I quote, this is a very difficult text to interpret. And who could argue? What is John possibly saying when he says, when Jesus came, he came by water and blood? Not only by the water, but also by the blood. A variety of interpretations have been offered for this phrase, and I'm going to give you three options here. The first option that I'd like to offer to you is what we might call the reformer's option. This is the position held by the Reformers, Martin Luther, John Calvin. They held that what John was saying was being referenced here. It was the two sacraments that the church participates in, water and blood. Water would be baptism. Blood would be the Lord's Supper. This position was held uh, by John alluding to the two sacraments. It's interesting, but I don't think that's the best option. The second option essentially views John's phrase, water and blood, as a rebuttal. A rebuttal of those who were arguing that Jesus only appeared to be real. There was a 
view of thought at that time called Gnosticism. And the Gnostics believed, like Plato did in his philosophy, that spirit was good and matter was evil. And as a result of that view of philosophy, if Jesus was God and God was good, Jesus couldn't possibly have been physical. He must have only appeared to be physical. In this case, John would perhaps be arguing that Jesus was water and blood, as our bodies are made up primarily of water and blood. This is another interesting point that can be uh, considered, but I don't think this is the best option either. The third and best option, I think, started with Tertullian, who was a church father of the second century. He argued that the phrase water and blood were references to the bookends of Jesus' ministry. It started when he was baptized by John the Baptist and anointed by the Spirit. And it was concluded with his sacrifice on the cross. Baptized to initiate his ministry, crucified to end it. Wherever we might fall on this issue, I think it's safe to say at least this. John is arguing here that Jesus' ministry was a testimony. Jesus' ministry was a testimony, and that testimony was further emphasized not only by these bookends of his ministry, his baptism to initiate it, his crucifixion to conclude it, but it was also emphasized by God the Holy Spirit. John says, who is truth? The Spirit is truth, he says. Look at the verse as I read. It says, And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three what? They agree. That is to say, these three do not conflict. We see the word testifies and testify in this text a couple of times throughout these verses. The word testify is the same word that we get witness from. The word happens approximately 170 times in the New Testament. It's the word martyrios in the Greek. It's the word that we get martyr from. Now, people who die for Jesus have been called martyrs, but they aren't martyrs because they died. They died because they were martyrs. In other words, they were witnesses to Jesus and his glory. In this case, the witnesses that are in agreement are the spirit, the water, the blood. That is, the spirit as well as the historical elements or bookends of Jesus' ministry testify about Jesus. Now, this is John's reference, I think, to the historical aspect of our Lord's life and death and resurrection. It can't be overplayed. It can't be overemphasized. In his book, God, excuse me, The God Who Is There, Francis Schaeffer once wrote this. It's going to come up on the screen. God has set the revelation of the Bible in history. He did not give it, as he could have done, in the form of a theological textbook. Having said the revelation in history, what sense, excuse me, that's a typo, what sense then would it make for God to give us a revelation in which the history was wrong? 
God has also set man in the universe, which the scriptures themselves say speaks of this God. What sense then would it make for God to give his revelation in a book that was wrong concerning the universe? The answer to both questions must be no sense at all. What Schaefer is saying here in his book, The God Who Is There, if you haven't read that book, you need to buy it and read it. What he's saying is that God is not aloof, disconnected from history, from humankind, from the events that we dictate and believe to be the course of the progress of redemption. When Jesus came to the earth and played the part that he played, As the culmination of God's plan for redemption, it wasn't an imaginary thing. It was real. What Schaefer is saying is, is what reliability, what sense would it make for God to give us a book to testify of that fact if the book itself was unreliable? What Schaefer is saying is that God has guaranteed the reliability of God's word in order to lead us to Jesus It was historical, and it can be historically verified. We Christians are in a faith that has been historically attested. Sure, people argue against the reliability of the Bible and of Jesus Christ all the time, but they do that because if he's discredited and if the Bible is deemed to be unbelievable, then they are free to live without account. But if he is the Messiah and he is the Christ, as God's reliable word testifies to us, then we all one day have to give account to God. Amen? This leads us to our next point. Secondly, the testimony of God. We've seen the testimony of the water, the blood, and the spirit, the bookends of Jesus' real historical ministry, and the emphasis of God the Holy Spirit in that role But finally, we see the testimony of God. This is found in verses 9 through 12. If you'll look at it with your eyes as I read, this is what it says. If we receive the testimony of men, which John is assuming at this point, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has a testimony in himself, by the way. Whoever does not believe God has made him to be a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. Verse 11, here it is. That God gave his eternal life, and this life is found in his Son. And whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So, Secondly and finally this morning, beginning at verse 9 and moving on from there, we see the testimony of God. John says that if we receive the testimony of men, and we often do both about important things and trivial things, then why wouldn't we receive the testimony of God? I think this is why he was saying water, blood, and the spirit of truth, because he's trying to remind us, excuse me, that regardless of whoever's testimony we, we might receive, the spirit of truth is not negotiable. If we would believe God, we must believe the word of his spirit. God's character is perfect and holy, unaffected by sin and imperfection, because God always tells the truth and is incapable of lying. So God's testimony is greater. 
It's greater than your testimony. It's greater than my testimony. John says his testimony about Jesus is simply this, verses 11 and 12. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is, this preposition is important, this life is what? In his son. Where do we find eternal life? In his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. The question is, where do we find the testimony of God? If God has given his testimony to us, and the apostle John is saying that here, then where do we find that testimony? The answer is simple. We've already heard the word, the blood, and the spirit all testify to Jesus. But now in verse 10, John says God's testimony is, that he gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. This is what I'd like to assert to you this morning. The Word of God is God's record of his testimony. The Word of God is God's record of his testimony. A verse is going to come up here on the screen. If you'd like to make a note in your notes this morning of it, I encourage you to do so. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses tells the people, this commandment, let's just replace, for the sake of argument this morning, the word commandment for the word of God. This word of God that I command you today is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. Get this, it's, it's beautifully poetic. It's not in heaven that you should say, who's going to ascend for us and bring it down to us so we can hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Get this, church. The word of God is very near to you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart so that you can do it. Church, God's testimony is recorded in the inspired word of God, these 66 books, what we call the canon. The standard and the will of God is found here in his testimony. We aren't making this stuff up every Sunday. You don't come in here and go, I wonder what Joe is going to pull out of his pocket today. I only preach from the word of God because my opinion is not relevant. And you go, amen, amen. Your opinion is not relevant either. I go, amen, amen, amen. You and I, were on an equal playing field. That playing field is the word of God. It's the equalizer of all men and women. It says the same message to all of us. And that is this. God's testimony is that eternal life is found in his son. In his son. What's the word? What should we do? I have no idea what to believe. The word of Deuteronomy says the word of God is not hard to find. We don't have to go into the heavens to search for it in the stars. We don't have to go beyond the sea to bring it home. It's in our hearts. It's in our mouth. We have to believe it, and we have to speak it. We are making this stuff up, conjuring different ang- angles of religion so that we can sell whatever might be popular at the time. I love what the Apostle Paul says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. 
First Thessalonians chapter two, verses three and four, it says, our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Let's just pause there for a minute. Paul is saying, we're not making this stuff up from erroneous documents or erroneous historical events. And it's not from impurity. In other words, our angle is not manipulative. And in any attempt to deceive, we're not lying to you for our own benefit. Paul says, we're not sharing this with you with error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, get this, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. Loved ones, the testimonies culminate in the testimony of God. The water, the blood, the spirit, the testimony of God. What we have here. The testimonies culminate in the testimony of God, but they disseminate through us. The testimony of God culminates in his testimony, but it disseminates through us. In other words, the gospel's not written in the stars, man. We don't need to cross our legs and hum. We don't have to follow some visceral, ethereal, opaque religion that says, I feel like this, I feel like that. The word of God has been revealed to us and has been testified to throughout history. Its reliability is here. I love what Spurgeon said when he was asked, why don't you defend the Bible? He said, defend the Bible? Ha! I would sooner defend a lion. The Bible defends itself. It always has. It will continue to do so. And Paul says, we don't have any attempt to deceive. The Bible has always been God's testimony, and God's testimony has always been proven. It's not an issue of whether or not the testimony culminates in his testimony. It's whether or not we're disseminating it. Are we sharing the word of God? Verse 10 says this. Look at it. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. You see that? that? That's the dissemination factor. In other words, if you are a Christian, if you have been affected by the testimony of God and you are in Christ, then that testimony should not come to a stop with you. That testimony should be spread. Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? That's the issue. God is saying the work is done. The work is complete. The testimony is sure. Can I get a witness? And sometimes I think God looks down from heaven at the church and the answer is no. But I hope it's not the case here. I hope it's not the case. People give testimony to what they believe to be right and what they believe to be true. And we are certainly seeing that play out today. Even if what people believe to be right and what people believe to be true is not right and is not true. It could be nothing more than political or practical expediency. I know Disney can give testimony. Testimony. 
I know Planned Parenthood can give testimony. I know some of your friends can give testimony. I know these politicians can give testimony. I know the political parties can give testimony. I know the movements in our country can give testimony. But can I get a witness? God is not interested in whether you post videos or comments about Biden or Trump or whoever. I don't care. God wants to know if the testimony of Jesus is your testimony. Sometimes I think we're better off fighting a political fight than we are this one. Because the political fight doesn't matter. We know that. Like a bunch of cats in an alley. Nobody likes cats or alleys. You got a few cats, don't you? (laughs) But the minute you say... The scripture says that God made them male and female. Now you got to fight. The scripture says that when, a, when God has brought together, let no man pull asunder. Now you got to fight. When the scripture says that the behavior of the child reflects upon the parents, now you got to fight. If anyone could witness to Christ, it should certainly be those who have placed their faith in him. This is his testimony that eternal life is found, what's the preposition? In his son. Verse 12 says it. We're going to wrap up with this. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. A couple of things I want to share with you by way of conclusion. When verse 12 is spoken by John on the heels of what he's just said, the testimony of the water and the blood and the Spirit culminating in the testimony of God the Father, what we believe to be his word revelation to us, all of these testimonies are given to us on the heels of this teaching. Verse 12, John says, here it is. Matter of fact, plainly and simply, say amen if you're listening. If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. Two things I want to share with you. Number one, this verse consists of clarity. This verse consists of clarity. There isn't anything unclear about this verse. Nothing. If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the son, you don't have life. There's clarity here. There isn't anything uncertain about the verse. What it says, it says without hesitation, without cloudiness, without confusion. Brandon Roberts, who's a so-called pastor, Robertson, excuse me. Brandon Robertson is a so-called pastor of a so-called church. And in a recent post, in a Q&A that he was doing, and... Uh, posting, he was asked, is Jesus the only way? To which he says, and I quote, Jesus was simply calling people to emulate his path. 
not follow his religion. You can follow Jesus' path and be a part of many different religions or no part of any religion at all. The bio in his page reads, author, activist, minister, very gay, progressive Christian. The book that he has out right now is titled, Nighttime Devotions for Teenage Boys. Now, sometimes things like this cause people to say to me, why are you fighting these fights? To which I say, where is your fight? Why do you call names? Because Paul called names. I'm warning you against Alexander and Hymenaeus. He called names. Something that we have lost today, something that the culture has influenced us toward is a politeness that leads people away from love and truth. I'm not saying you have to be nasty, but you need to call things what they are if you would be faithful to the testimony of God. What we're talking about here, church, is a wolf in sheep's clothing. This is what the Lord warned us about. This is what the Lord told us would happen. Taking the clear, simple gospel and twisting it to mean something that is inclusive in a way that was obviously never the intention of Christ or the apostles. This is antichrist. We have to be witnesses for the gospel. Not because we have to be perfect, but because our imperfections don't give us the liberty to twist and distort God's gospel. You might not be perfect, but that doesn't give you the right to change his word. We have to be witnesses for the gospel, not because we have to be perfect, but because God has called us to be faithful. Second, I want you to note, this word is not only, or this word not only consists of clarity, but secondly, it consists of assurance. Again, verse 12 reads, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. There's a promise here, church. There's a promise. There's assurance provided for us in this simple, succinct, clear statement. While an if-then formula isn't present in this verse, we can certainly read it like this. If you have the Son, then you have life. If you don't have the Son, then you don't have life. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you saying that I don't have eternal life if I'm not a Christian. No. John is saying it. You may get personal. It's not personal. You don't say what the Spirit tells you to say because you want people to like you. 
They don't dislike you. They dislike the word of God. That's why you've got these so-called pastors. Women in robes being called father. That is hysterical. We've lost the way. We have negotiated on every single point, even the most basic of points, to such an extent that we can't define words anymore. We can, but we won't, which is fine. When the world acts like the world, everybody goes, I can't believe the world is acting like the world. No, no, the world acts like the world. My issue is not when the world acts like the world. My issue is when the church acts like the world. God is asking you, can I get a witness? I'm not asking if you know this political affiliation or that one. Did you vote like this or that? Did you argue well about this point or that point? Who, what, it, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you're going to live 80 years if you're strong and lucky. And then you're going to die. And then all of that stuff is going to be irrelevant. If you have the son, you have life. If you don't have the son, you don't have life. You don't have eternal life. I am not a bad person. I've never mistreated children. I've never robbed a bank. It doesn't matter. James chapter 2, verse 10 says, if you keep the entire law but only offend one point, you become guilty of all of it. Because he who said you shall not murder is the same God who said you shall not steal. You see, it's not the value of the particular law. That's what we do. I didn't rob a bank. It doesn't matter. The smallest sin offends a three-time holy God. The, 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 the impact or influence of a sin is not dictated by what we say is evil. It is dictated by the offended party. And the offended party is God, and God is holy, and God is offended by our lies, our dishonesty. You name it. One sin, no heaven. One sin, no heaven. That's how holy he is. And John says, but let me give you a little testimony. What's that, John? If you believe in his son, you have eternal life. All that sin I bring to God. And John says, yes. How do we know? The water, the blood, the spirit, God's testimony, it is done. The death of Jesus on behalf of sinners purchases in full, not in half or in part, but in full salvation, forgiveness, adoption, justification, eternal life for those who place their faith in Jesus, not that religion, that religious religion. Oh, I just figure something out. Jesus said some cool things. He was basically a social worker. No, no, Jesus is the savior of humankind. He died not to say, go give somebody a sandwich. He died to save us from hell and then say, now that you're saved, go give somebody a sandwich. The way we approach the faith should be dictated by the testimony of God, not the testimony of the world. How strong does Jesus feel about this? Strong enough that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, 
He said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. But I never knew them. And they will not enter the kingdom. And they will say, but didn't we cast out demons for you? And didn't we do many good things in your name? And he will say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, because I never what? I never knew you. To which you might say, well, is that true, Joe? Were they casting out demons? Were they doing that? Here's my answer. I think they think they were. I think they thought they were awesome for Jesus. I think Brandon Robertson thinks he's awesome for Jesus. Because he's articulate. He can speak well. But he's prostituting the gospel and compromising the gospel. When we read this text, I think what we get is a question. Can I get a witness? To close, let me say this. There's a testimony to which we affix our faith. And that testimony is God's testimony. And that testimony is, if you place your faith in the Son, you will be saved. If you do not place your faith in the Son, you will not be saved. And if we bring a faith that's in disagreement to the testimony, we may be one thing or the other thing, but one thing we will not be is Christian. We can't claim the name of Christ and disagree with the testimony of the Scriptures for our own convenience and our own popularity. It doesn't matter what we say. It matters what God has said. This morning, I'd like to give you a few moments to reflect, to pray. If you are in Christ, if you understand the culmination of the testimony, do you understand the importance of the dissemination of the testimony? Are you sharing the faith? How you do it can vary. I don't think you need to corner somebody and go, if you, if you were to get on a bus and die today, that's one way to do it. May or may not be productive. But there are a variety of ways to testify. My question is, are you witnessing? The second thing I want to ask you is, do you believe? If you're here in the midst this morning, and you've heard the gospel, maybe for the first time, that says, if you believe in the Son, you have life, but if you don't believe in the Son, you do not have life. And you've been living under the illusion that as long as you don't rob a bank, you'll go to heaven. And you want to place your faith in Jesus today for salvation. I hope you'll do that today.